Thank you very much indeed, uh, Graham, and it's always a delight and a joy to be with you here at uh, New Beginnings. Um, we've shared many things over the past and had some more wonderful times of fellowship, so it's good to be with you. And I maybe should just explain how we've managed to double the size of your congregation uh, this evening. We're doing a series of studies on the book of Daniel at the moment. And uh, we, we were looking on um, Tuesday evening at the, the matter of the second coming of the Lord. And one of our number said, I've been in this church for a wee while, and why is this the first time I've ever heard about these, these future events and so on? And I said, well, actually, I'm preaching about it next Sunday evening. And the chorus went up, good. And I said, but not here, at Riverside. Um, now, we don't have a service on a Sunday evening at Riverside, the first Sunday of the month. So, this is not renter congregation. <laughs> but a number of friends said they would like to come this evening, so we, we thought they would uh, enjoy the fellowship with you. So, we're going to look at a particular series of subjects, and we're going to do a two-part study with you. And tonight, we're going to look at the return of the Lord for his church. For his church. And then when I'm with you on the first Sunday in December, God willing, we'll look at the subject, the return of the Lord with his church. Now notice the change of word, for and with. And there's a very important distinction between those two events. And I'm also conscious of the fact that um, sometimes people occasionally like to take notes and without being presumptuous have actually prepared some outline notes uh, this evening for you. So um, maybe if I just hand these over, if you could just pass them around on this side please. And um, hopefully there's enough one for everybody. Um, just pass those around please um, so that we can have these two issues before us. So tonight's subject then is the return of the Lord for his church. And there's a scripture reading in Second Peter that will come to a little later on, uh, we will. But let's start off this evening. If you've got your Bibles with you, let's turn to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 10. Acts chapter 1, verses numbers 10 and 11. And this, you'll remember, is the occasion when the Lord Jesus Christ, he's risen from the dead, he's appeared to his disciples on a number of occasions, and they're out on the Mount of Olives. And as they're talking together on the Mount of Olives, so it is that the feet of Jesus suddenly leave planet Earth. And he slowly moves up into the sky, and as he disappears up into the sky, into the clouds, this is what was said to them. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, where suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, these two men said to the disciples, you've seen Jesus go away to heaven, there's going to come a day when he's going to come back. And in the same way which you've seen him go, it is the same way in which he's going to come back. And by way of introduction, just three points for us to note. The first is this, the Mount of Olives is a very important place in history. 
uh, various events took place on the Mount of Olives. You remember uh, it was there that the Lord Jesus Christ went the night before he was uh, crucified. You remember it was there that Gethsemane was found. And Jesus often retired to the Mount of Olives. And he often went to the Mount of Olives. He spent time teaching his disciples there and so on. And it was from the Mount of Olives that the Lord Jesus Christ left planet Earth and went to return to his Father to be in heaven. So historically, the Mount of Olives has an important place in Scripture. But it's also got an important place in the future. In a future day, then the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ will once again stand upon the Mount of Olives. And so the Mount of Olives is important. I know some of you have been to Israel, and for those of us who have been to Israel, you will sense the feeling of what it's like to stand on the Mount of Olives. And you know what it's like when you're standing there and you look across over the city of Jerusalem, and there's a golden dome there. I remember the first time we went, Mary, who needs um, glasses because she, like me, has problems and like some of you problems with her sight she actually felt as though she wanted to take her glasses off and see it clearer because her glasses were getting in the way she wanted to see the the, the place of course she took her glasses off and um, found she had to put them back on again but when you're on the Mount of Olives you just have a feeling there's something special about this place so it's bound up in history the second thing to note is that the return of Christ we call it the second coming is the next most important event in God's calendar. God's working to a calendar. God has got a series of events planned out. And the next great event in God's calendar, in God's timetable, is the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's good to remember this is a basic Christian truth. We speak about the birth, we speak about the life, we speak about the death, we speak about the resurrection. We also need to speak about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because one day, Jesus is going to return uh, to this earth. The third thing I want to say is that whenever we look at events that are still future, you have to exercise caution. Very easy to be dogmatic. Very easy to say, this is what's going to happen, and many people have done that in the past and been proved wrong. And so we have to approach the subject of the return of the Lord humbly. We have to um, approach it cautiously. We have to avoid dogmatizing over details, because different theologians sometimes put the various events in a different order. Uh, but I'll be explaining a particular order to you over the next uh, two evenings. And uh, just remember that when we come to the whole issue of the Lord's return, let us take great care uh, to avoid being over-dogmatic, because we could, in fact, find ourselves in some difficulty there. So this evening, uh, what I want to do uh, in relation to the return of the Lord is to look at four particular issues. First of all, the certainty of the Lord's return. How can we be sure that Jesus Christ is coming again? What certainty do we have? How can we uh, be able to say with any degree of certainty, this is an event that's really going to happen? Secondly, I want to look at the manner. What is the way in which he will return? And scripture outlines for us a very clear pattern about the manner or the way in which that return will take place. Thirdly, I want to look at the timing. 
And of course, one of the things that people say is, well, when's it going to happen? You know, is it going to be this week, next week, next year? Well, give us some sort of timetable. And so I want to look at the timing of it, and I'll say more about that a little later on. But lastly tonight, I want to look at the implications. If Jesus is going to return, then you and I as Christians, you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it must have some implication on your life and mine. And so I want to look at these four issues with you this evening. And the first thing I want to look at is the certainty of the return of the Lord, the certainty of the Lord's return. Can we turn please to 1 Peter? If you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Peter and to chapter number 3. Sorry, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. It's sandwiched between Hebrews and Revelation. If you're in that part of your Bible, then you should find 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 3 and 4. Uh, first of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And one of the things we will discover when we come to the whole subject of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is that God's word is always under attack. From the beginning of time, since the book of Genesis, right through uh, history, God's word has always been under attack and his people have always been under attack. In fact, you only get as far as chapter 3 in the book of Genesis when you find God's words under attack. You remember the devil came along and said to Eve, did God say? In other words, planting seeds of doubt into his mind that God really did say something. And God's word has been attacked right down through the corridors of history. But when we come to the word of God... What we need to remember is that Jesus looked upon the word of God and at that time it was the Old Testament. He looked upon it as being authoritative. He had no doubts at all about the authenticity of the Old Testament. And Jesus underlined different events in the Old Testament. For instance, he spoke about Jonah in Matthew 12 verse 14. Now Jonah, you remember the man who went on a Mediterranean cruise and ended up as a fish pie. Um, Jonah, uh, that man who, um, who, who a lot of people scoff and doubt and say, but that could never have happened. A man could never have been swallowed by a great fish. And yet we find round about the turn of the 1900s, the early 1900s, uh, an Icelandic whaling boat actually caught a whale. And when they opened up the whale, they found a man inside. So even in modern history, such an event has taken place. But Jesus referred to that as a historical event. You'll also find that Jesus, Jesus spoke about Noah. And as far as he was concerned, Noah was a real man who really lived and went through the great flood. And he often referred to Old Testament miracles in the days of Elijah and so on. So Jesus himself placed great reliance upon the Old Testament scriptures as being authentic. Now, of course, little changes. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. People still scoff at the Bible. 
people still ridicule the Bible. And when we talk about the second coming, you will find that uh, people still attack God's word. Doubters still exist today. So how can you and I be sure that the Lord will really return as he has promised? I want to suggest to you there are three pieces of evidence. First of all, there is the evidence of history. When you look back in history, what you will discover is this, that when you go to the Old Testament, the very place where Jesus was going to be born was prophesied. In the book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So the very place of the birth of the uh, Son of God was predicted in the Old Testament, Bethlehem. What we find when we come to Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. In other words, it's prophesied 400 years before the event took place. So we can see here how there is prophecy and it is its fulfillment. And um, in the Old Testament, Christ's first advent was predicted in some detail. Many things concerning his death were predicted in great detail. There are many, many prophecies in the Old Testament relating to our Lord Jesus Christ, many of which have been fulfilled. And of course, if God has fulfilled his prophecies in history in the past then is that not evidence for us to rely on the fact that he's going to fulfill his promises and his prophecies at some stage in the future. You see, the prophets foretold it, history validated it, God did it in history, and if he's done it once, he can do it again. He can do it again. So there is the evidence of history. Secondly, there is the evidence of scripture. The evidence of scripture. The only place where you and I can learn anything at all about the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ is in Scripture. This is the place. The Bible here is where we learn about the second coming of Jesus. Now, I know theologians write textbooks and so on, but it's all based on what the Scripture says. So this is the root source uh, for finding out about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at what some of the scripture says. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4. Zechariah 14 and verse 4 towards the end of the Old Testament. Great book Zechariah. I remember doing a series out on it at Riverside one some years ago. Um, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse number 4. Here is some information given to us in the scripture concerning the Lord's return. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. Here we have prophets in the Old Testament referring to the fact that one day the feet of Jesus are going to come and stand upon the Mount of Olives and the mountain is going to be split in two. I'm going to come back to that in just a few minutes. 
Secondly, Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, the passage which we read earlier on, where angels spoke about the coming of the Lord. They were intently looking up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken uh, from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So here we have angels who are talking about the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, the prophets. Secondly, angels. Thirdly, we have the apostles. And when you turn to the uh, letter of Paul to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 7. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 7. The Apostle says, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gifts, listen to this, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. These early Christians had the, it clearly, uh, indelibly written upon their minds that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to return. And they lived their lives in the light of the fact that Jesus was going to return. And uh, Paul writes to these Corinthians and he says, as you eagerly wait, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. They expected Jesus to return very soon. Uh, they thought he was going to come back within a year or a few years. Little did they know it was going to be at least 2,000 years before Jesus came back again. And then uh, John's Gospel chapter 21, Jesus himself. John 21 verse 22, Jesus is speaking here to the disciples and he says, if I want him, that is John, to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Uh, the disciples were looking at the fact that um, um, one of them was going to die and one of them was going to live. Peter was going to die earlier, John was going to live longer. And Jesus said, if I wanted to remain alive, notice this, until I return. Jesus himself, himself spoke about his return. So we have the prophets, we have the angels, we have apostles, and we have Jesus himself all speaking in scripture about the fact that he is going to return. There is evidence in scripture pointing forward to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, um, there is the evidence of God's character. Now God has many aspects to his character, and many different facets to the character of God. Uh, when you think of the character of God, think of a diamond, and when you take a diamond and you hold it up to the light, and you see many, many facets, many different prisms there, lights of all different colours, shades and so on, and God has many, many sides to his character. Just two to mention to you. First of all, God's character is eternal. Eternal. We've been seeing these wonderful hymns of worship and praise. We've been speaking about, seeing about bowing down before the eternal God. God is eternal. He is from everlasting to everlasting. We live in an envelope called time. But God is everlasting. He surrounds time. He lives in eternity, but he deals with us 
in time, God determined his character. Now when you read Second Peter chapter 3 verse 8, you get some perspective on how God looks at time. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 8 says this, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So as far as the Lord's concerned, one day, as far as he's concerned, could be a thousand years. Or, a thousand years, as far as he's concerned, could be one day. Now, think the logic through. Jesus died 2,000 years ago. In God's economy, that was two days ago. Two days ago. Since Jesus died, there have been 730,000 days that have passed. If you do your mathematics, you'll come somewhere near about 730,000. What does that mean? Well, if one day is like a thousand years, as far as God's concerned, that is 730,000 million years. Uh, that gives us some idea of the scale. But God, God is interested. He made time. But as far as he's concerned, he's outside time. Uh, a day, as far as he's concerned, could be a, 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 just one, uh, a thousand years or a day. And so we've got this perspective, God is eternal in his character. And God has got big plans, huge plans for this world to be fulfilled, huge plans for the universe. And as his children, we can be caught up in that. We are part and parcel of his plans for the future. So remember the, 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 magni the, the, the magnitude of God, the enormity of the God with whom we're dealing is majesty. We were seeing earlier on about majesty. We bow before him. Uh, and we need to get a, into our minds, into our hearts, a uh, focus of the sheer, sheer majesty, the awesomeness of God. We sometimes don't hear that spoken about very often these days. And it's good to reflect upon that, just to recognise how small, how infinitely small we are in his presence. And yet the marvellous thing is that, although he is so vast, and although he is so great, and we are so infinitely small, he loves us. And he deals with us as individuals, and he's concerned about each one of us in every detail of our lives, his eternal character. God's got plans beyond this world in fact um, I've been speaking to people recently and I've been reminding them about retirement for the Christian uh, when you finish your secular work retirement can be spelled R-E-T-Y-R-E-D you, you set tires when you retire and you carry on working but of course for the Christian the retirement plans are out of this world uh, they are that we have a future uh, guaranteed for us in heaven. Part of God's eternal character. But secondly, God's patience. God is infinitely patient. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some, some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And often we see things happening, we say, why didn't God stop that? Why doesn't God intervene? Why does God allow this to happen? And part of the reason is his patience. Now the patience of God is not slowness, it's not slackness, it's not forgetfulness. Oh, goodness me, I meant to do that and uh, I forgot about it and uh, pick it up a few days later. No, God's patience is his long-suffering. His forbearance. 
is willing us to give us more and more time. And he gives us time so that men will repent and will come to him. We must never mistake God's patience and ask, where is this coming? We must never mistake his patience to say, well, it's not happened yet, so will the second return ever happen? We need to remind ourselves that um, God always fulfills his promises. He is patient. He is patient. Every coin we have, every coin we have, bears evidence to the fact that Jesus came. Do you know that? Every coin in the UK that is minted has got a date on it. 2000 and whatever, don't know what it is on this one, 2008, in other words, 2008 years since when? Since the birth of Jesus. And God's been patient these 2000 years. And when you look at the events taking place in our world today, you wonder how much more patient can God be with the kind of world we're in. Yeah, God created this world, but man has destroyed it. And um, we, we, we sometimes need to, to remember that God is patient, but his patience will one day come to an end. And one day God's going to wrap up history, and he's going to say, this is the point in time when my son is going to come. Can we be certain that he will return? He promised he would. We've got the evidence of scripture, we've got the evidence of history, and we've got the evidence of God's character. You say, well, okay then, how's it all going to happen? And what you will find is that the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is not just a single one-off event. It is actually divided, if you like, into two halves. And the first half is what we call the rapture. And the rapture is when the Lord himself comes from heaven and he comes to the air. And the people who have being Christians who have died are going to be raised from the dead and they're going to be raised up to meet the Lord in the air and it tells us in scripture that the Lord and these people are going to be taken away into heaven that's going to happen as the first part of the second return of the Lord and then seven years later seven years later which is the Daniel's one of the sevens we were speaking about in our Bible study last week. Seven years later, the Lord and all of the saints are going to return to planet Earth. So it's in two parts. Let's just explore it. Don't believe it because it's me telling you. Believe it because it's what the Bible says. Let's look at First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And actually you'll see here, I've just divided these two events, the word rapture, the word return. As far as the rapture is concerned, the saints go up. And as far as the return is concerned, the saints come down. So we're going up to heaven, and then we're going to come down. We'll explain that in more detail. First Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse, the first half of verse number 16. 1 Thessalonians 4, and the first half of verse number 16, where we read these words. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. 
So at some stage in the future, there's going to be a loud shout, there's going to be a voice of an archangel, and there's going to be a trumpet call. And that will signal the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That will signal his second coming. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. That is the return, Christ's return to the air. The Lord will come to the air. Then look at the second half of that verse. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That is resurrection. And for those of us who've had uh, Christian friends, uh, young ones, loved ones, who have been buried in the grave, or cremated, or have died at sea, or been lost in an accident, or have been blown up, if we've got Christian friends, then what the Lord says is that these people who've died in the past, they'll be raised from the dead. How's he going to do it? I've got a clue. doesn't tell us. But he's going to do it. He's going to raise those who've died in Christ from the dead. They're going to be lifted up. And then, um, um, uh, in this particular passage, it's worthwhile noting that Paul here is dealing with the fact that some of the Christians at uh, Thessalonica, uh, they got Christian friends who died. Uh, and they were concerned about them. Uh, and they were saying to Paul, well, what about our friends who died? Uh, what's going to happen to them when the Lord uh, returns? And Paul says, look, when, when a Christian dies, you don't grieve in the same way that others do grieve. Now, he's not saying you don't grieve. Of course you grieve. That's a natural reaction. We all do that when we lose someone who, who is near and dear to us. But he says, we don't sorrow, we don't grieve in quite the same way as other people do. Why? Because we have a hope. We have a future. We have a resurrection to look forward to. And so he encourages these Christians not to sorrow concerning Christians who died. Why? Because one day they're going to be raised. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16b, they're going to, the dead in Christ will rise first. We used to have a, a brother, some of you will know uh, John Brown. Remember John Brown, some of you? He used to say, I'd love to be in a cemetery on resurrection day. And see all of a sudden graves open up and people coming up out of the graves. Uh, interesting thought. It's going to happen so fast, and if you're a Christian, it's going to happen so fast that you, you won't have time to stand around and see it all going on. But it's going to happen. The Bible says it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, lid. Twinkling of an eye. Now why does the Bible say the twinkling of an eye? The answer is the twinkling of an eye we are told is the fastest movement in the body. That's what we're told by people who examine these things. So the fastest movement in the body, the twinkling of eye, it's going to happen so quickly. Uh, we'll come back to that in a bit more detail. But there's going to be a resurrection. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 17, a, the first part of verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So you'll be at your work, you'll be washing the dishes, you'll be giving the grandchildren a row, you'll be doing whatever you're doing. But all of a sudden, you're going to be... Somebody put it at our church, I love this, they put it at our church last, last Tuesday, you're going to be zapped up. 
you know, we zapped up. And, and suddenly, we're just going to be lifted up. Where? To meet the Lord in the air. This is the rapture. And then he goes on, and in the second part of verse 17, and so will we, and so will we be with the Lord forever. In other words, we're going to be reunited with the Lord. United with them, reunited with each other. And many's the time we stood at the grave, and we put the coffin in the grave, and we've spoken about the fact that one day is going to be a resurrection. And people whom we dearly love, we're going to meet them again on the other side. What a joy. What a tremendous hope we have as Christians. Something to spur us on and encourage us in our Christian lives. And so we have the rapture. But then we have the return, a second event that will take place, all part and parcel of the second coming of the Lord. And for that, we need to turn to Zechariah once again. Zechariah chapter 14, back to a verse that we looked at um, earlier on. Zechariah chapter number 14. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. And what the prophet is telling us here is that there's going to be a day when Jesus will return to the earth. Not the air this time, but he's going to return to the earth. And the moment his feet touch the Mount of Olives, the mountains will be split in two. You say, how's that going to happen? Well, geologists have done some research. And what they've discovered is that there is a geological fault on the Mount of Olives. And with a fairly small earthquake the Mount of Olives will be split in two. So God has already put a geological fault in place, ready for the coming of his son in a future day. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that marvellous? That God's already made this provision. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 13. I apologize, we're jumping around all over the place, but um, the Bible's not always written in a logical order as far as subject matter is concerned. Uh, you'll find when you read your Bible, that as you read through your Bible, that um, there's bits of the jigsaw puzzle given to you all over the place, and we have to try and fit them together. Uh, another way of thinking of your Bible is that when you read your Bible, it's a bit like peeling the layers off an onion. You know when you peel an onion, there's another layer beneath and another layer. Well, every time you, you, you look at the Bible, you, first of all you read it and you get a sort of a, a surface reading of it. Then you spend a bit, spend a bit of time and read it a bit more. You, you begin to say, well, there's, there's a, bit of a, bit, a bit of a deeper meaning here. Uh, and so it's going down through the layers, uh, as it were. So First Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 13 May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless 
and holy in the presence of God our Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. And so it's telling us that when Jesus comes to the earth, he's going to bring with him all his holy ones. That includes you and me, if we love the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour. And so we have the return. And so when we read scripture, it would appear as though there are two separate parts of the second coming. One is the rapture, the coming to the heir of Christ, and the other is the return when he comes to put his feet on Mount, the Mount of Olives. Now, of course, people then say, well, what about the timing? When's it all going to happen? And, uh, of course, people have tried to predict the return of the Lord. I remember a few years ago, just two or three years ago, when I was a teenager, <laughs> I was at school, and, and some people had been written, had written in a newspaper at the time that uh, uh, Christ was going to return uh, uh, at that, that particular time. In fact, they actually pinpointed the date, and certain people went up a mountain because they believed that Jesus was going to return that day. It was the day of our woodwork exam at school. And there we are doing our woodwork exam, cutting mortises and tenon joints and so on. Uh, and I'd spoken about this, to the, some of the lads in the class have said, uh, do you believe that Jesus is going to return? I said, no. I said, well, yes, I believe he's going to return. But I said, not this afternoon. I said, nobody knows the time when the Lord's going to return. Now as I'm sawing my wood, I can see lads sawing their wood and looking at Is he still there? Is he still here? <laughs> and of course... Many people thought that 2000, uh, sorry, 1988 was going to be the time when the Lord returned. Why? Because the modern state of Israel was founded in 1948, and 40 is an important uh, number in Scripture, and they thought, well, 40 years after, 1988 is the time when the Lord's going to return. And then other people said, well, the year 2000 is going to be his return. And they've had all sorts of ideas and so on. Even yet, you'll find, you'll read newspaper reports on occasions where people say they believe the Lord's going to return on a particular date. Do not take a bit of notice of it at all. Because we do not know the time. Because Jesus said this, Matthew 24, verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so, God the Father has kept this point in time to himself and he's not given that information out to anybody so when will Jesus come? we do not know the precise date but and this is the important but we are told to watch for the signs of his coming remember in Matthew chapter 16 some Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and asked him to give a sign from heaven and he said to them, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. And Jesus took up that saying that we had, or gave us that saying we, we had. Red sky at night, shepherd's delight, and, and so on. We all know the idea that if the sky is red at night, then the chances are it will be a nice day tomorrow. But red sky in the morning is a different story. Now we know how to read the clouds, we know how to read these kind of signs. Jesus said, when it comes, or the Bible says, when it comes to the second coming of the Lord, watch for the signs. Look for the signposts. And I've listed, I think, about ten 
signs for you. Don't have time to go into all of them uh, this evening. But just let's look at them very briefly. An increase in wars. Mark chapter 13 verse 7. You'll find as we approach the end days there are going to be increasing wars, rumours of wars. You look around the globe today, hardly a country that doesn't have conflict. You think of the Middle East, you think of Pakistan, you think of Syria, you think of Lebanon, you think of North and South Korea, you think of Egypt, uh, you think of um, um, uh, places in Africa. Uh, all around the world there is conflict, enormous conflict, increases in wars. Extreme materialism. Paul writing to Timothy says, in the last days, um, let's just read that scripture very quickly, 2 Timothy chapter 3. After Thessalonians, we come to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Um, we're living in a day, we are, where, where shopping has become a god to some people. Um, did you see that television program just a few weeks ago, the chap Peston, I uh, forget his Christian name, anybody help me? Um, BBC, Robert. Robert Peston. He did a one hour documentary, and this documentary was on the, 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 the expansion of shopping since the 1980s and how that shopping has become almost a god. Uh, people have become shopaholics. Uh, and he's saying you know, there's going to be an increase in materialism. And isn't that true of our day today? That we're a very materialistic society. We must have this. Uh, you get your MP3, and then you suddenly find an MP4 or an MP5, get lost track of these things. And every bit of cutting-edge edge technology, you buy it today, and it's our date tomorrow. Because the boundary is always being pushed forward, and everybody's got this attitude, I must have it, I must have it. Uh, and so there's an increase in materialism. There's going to be an increase in lawlessness. Again, Second Timothy. Um, Timothy says there, people who become proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power, and so on. A bit like reading the morning newspaper, isn't it? When you see about all of the, the lawlessness that goes on. Sometimes you, you, you watch the news at ten, and you say, goodness me, there was no good news tonight. It's all about problems here and everywhere. Outbreak of lawlessness. And then there's going to be a repeat of history. Things that have happened in the past repeat themselves and happen again. You get that in Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. And then there's going to be a quest for knowledge. Uh, look at Daniel, chapter 12. Jan Daniel, chapter 12, and verse number... But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll unto the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Increase knowledge. Have you noticed the exponential um, uh, development of the internet? Uh, men's search, man's ins insatiable thirst for knowledge. And the explosion of the internet is part of that. Uh, and um, 
just let's press on there's going to be an increase in demonic activity um, we hear about there being seven witches covens in the Kilsyth area <laughs> we hear about all sorts of things of the paranormal uh, and so on an increase in demonic activity uh, I've seen a lot of it in Africa I've seen some here in this country Jews returned to Israel 1948 the founding of the modern state of Israel and since then Jews have been returning to Israel and Jews are still returning to Israel um, they're going home to their homeland a sign of the end gross immorality you only have to look at some of the laws Mr Cameron and his government have passed in recent days you only have to look at some of the suggestions being made uh, that uh, the, the suggestion that we bring a law in allowing polygamy in this country a gross immorality uh, is part of the sign of the coming of the end the rise of false religions if you look at your notes, I discovered this afternoon, I've got a wrong reference in the notes, my apologies for that. It should be Matthew 24, not Matthew 17. So you might want to make that little alteration. But a rise of false religions. Um, when you think of the New Age movement, when you think of people's in search for all kinds of sort of experiences, uh, new different uh, uh, religions and so on. And also there's going to be the global proclamation of the gospel. That the gospel will go global. And the internet is being used as a tool for pushing the gospel these days. And so on. So these are the things that we should look for. And when you see these things coming together, they will indicate that we're coming to the last days. And when, I don't know about you, but when I look around, I think to myself, well, it can't be too long before the Lord will say, I'm going to wrap up history. What are the implications? What the implications? I mentioned earlier about a coin. You notice that every coin has two sides. Hmm? You cannot have a one-sided coin. I mean, if you split that coin down the middle, you're going to end up with two coins, but they're going to have two sides to it. Hmm? What's the point? The point is this. What we believe and how we behave cannot be separated. Belief, behavior. In other words, if I believe these things, if I believe the Lord is going to return, then it should affect the way in which I live my life. And Second Peter gives us some clear instructions about the implications of uh, the way in which you and I should live our lives as Christians in the light of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first is this, holy and godly living we should live lives that bring honour and uh, reflect something of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ please notice I'm not saying we have to live we should live a perfect life we should try to but we won't this side of eternity live a perfect life it's not within us because we've still got the old man we've still got that, that sinful bit in us that wants to, to come out but we have to live holy and godly lies. Live lies without spot or blemish. We not only have to avoid we not only have to avoid sin, we have to avoid every appearance of sin. 
we should try and live our lives in such a way that uh, people look at us and see something of the Lord Jesus Christ and then we have to live watchful lives keep watching but at the same time keep growing you can summarize that keep going keep glowing keep growing okay if you like three point sermons you're on a roll tonight you are um, keep going keep glowing and keep growing and so Peter is giving us some instructions there now I appreciate that's a lot to take in I appreciate that um, hopefully the notes will be of, of, of some help to you and I appreciate I've given you half of a story so if you want part two of the uh, story and the Lord has not returned or he's not taken me home then God willing we'll be here uh, on maybe the first Sunday in December I think it is uh, Graham and we'll look at the second half of this event so um, may God bless his word to us and uh, might be an encouragement to us and a challenge to us in the way in which we live our lives during the course of this coming week thank you for your patience in listening let us pray our Father God we thank you for your love towards each one of us and for the way in which you have been so gracious to us and the way in which we have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour and we thank you that in knowing Jesus as our Saviour we now have the responsibility to live live like Christians we've been saved we've been saved for a purpose and we just ask that as we live our lives that you will help us to honour you and show something of the Lord Jesus Christ in each of our lives we thank you that we don't live uh, alone we have the precious gift of your Holy Spirit to help us lead us and guide us day by day as tonight we've looked to these important subject of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ may it be that we will have been encouraged and helped in our Christian understanding but also in the way in which we can live our lives in these coming days may your spirit help us to do that throughout the course of this week in Jesus name we pray Amen